I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to Caged In Presents Copla Connections. As ever, brought to you by the Breadcrumbs Collective and hosted by me, Petros Pat Syllabus. You join us for episode 64 as we go through the ever-increasing Coppola family filmography to determine are they the greatest film family of all time? I said it was episode 64 and the film we're covering you probably already know because you've had a little look when you clicked on this episode but we're talking about 1970s pattern a rare film where francis ford coppola is a screenwriter but not the director i'm joined on this episode by steve smith a man who is uh, a podcaster who likes to chafe asses and drop bruises all will be made clear in a few moment's time uh, as is always the case we'll be talking about this film in all of the spoiler details we'll be talking about all of the plans of action all the plans of attack the general pattern had and uh yeah what uh what goes on in this film um uh, we get into a lot of different things we kind of go all over the map and kind of get into it we 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 have some in jokes with uh, yeah shout out to scott i know you're listening your boy steve did well um yeah steve was a fantastic guest and i'm i'm sure that you enjoy this like sprawling chat we tried to keep it short as we could but this is like a what three hour long movie so it had to be a two hour long chat so i apologize for that but all that's left to do is to storm the barracks and get ready as we make some copla connections with pattern you to remember no bastard ever hosted a podcast by dying for his country he won it by making the other poor dumb bastard die for his country on this podcast episode we're talking franklin j schaffner's 1970 wartime biopic pattern it's written by edmund h north 
And our Coppola connection for this episode, Francis Ford Coppola. The film stars George C. Scott and Carl Malden. Joining me in the battle room to plan our attack and see if the Coppolas are reincarnated tactical maestros of cinema or a bunch of war fatigue splitters is a man used to chafing asses and dropping bruises, host of both the Cheeky Bastards and Dropping a Bruce podcast, Steve Smith. How are you, sir? Oh, I'm fantastic. Thank you very much for having me on your show. Oh, no, thank you for being here. It's uh, it's been a long right. time coming. I've, 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 I've we, we, we've spoke a, a couple of times of through, yep, through yep. mutual mutual pod friend, uh, Scott. Indeed. Uh, yeah. So I just yeah no. Since yeah yeah since since we kind of actually last talked, you guys have re- you've launched another podcast because you, you seem to not not be able yeah, to well, have enough. Well, the dropping of Bruce podcast. Um, looking at the straight-to-video output, Mr. Bruce Willis, was actually the first show we intended to do together. But then we got the bad news about Mr. Willis, uh-huh. and we felt that was a little bit in bad taste. Although we weren't going to rip the films apart, um, although maybe we will later, who knows. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was never the intention to be mean-spirited. It just felt a little bit like bad timing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and 100%. Then, yeah, and then Scott came up with the idea of just ripping other films to pieces, basically. <laughs> just, to, just to kind of, you know, there seems to be a culture at the moment of people not willing to say if a movie is garbage or not. So we, yeah. we thought, you know, we're not being contrarians. These are genuine beliefs. Well, yeah, I, I, I think what... And and I I guess I don't know I no it is it is for the detriment of kind of criticism for films yeah is the fact that there are so many people doing it and you can basically just scout around the internet and just find someone who agrees with you and that's what people tend to do they'll just like go yeah well there's loads of bad reviews for this film but let me let me sift through oh this place do you know what i mean dumbbells and willies.com has given it five stars (laughs) they're my new favorite people yeah well you know there's nothing more suspicious than a universally loved movie as far as i'm concerned (laughs) okay you know and that and that seems to be happening more often than than ever so that was Scott's idea, basically, was to sort of say this, you know, not necess- not always unpopular opinions. Sometimes we're championing films that we think deserve a second chance. Um, you know, so there's just all these kind of ideas we've had, and that's been good fun so far. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, like when I did the I when I did the Indiana Jones thing about Crystal Skull, yeah. what was main, what I ultimately was saying, I was polite about it. I was saying this is good as all the other Indiana Jones sequels, when really what I ultimately meant was all the sequels suck. <laughs> this, this doesn't, this, the you know, Crystal Skull doesn't suck any, you know, any more than well, we're talking, Temple of Doom. We're talking at a time when obviously Dial of Destiny is just premiered at Cannes and some of the reviews from that, I, 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 I read one, one review that basically mm. said, oh, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull looks good compared, compared to this, to this. <laughs> well, like, wow. i haven't read that but <laughs> but yeah this is what i'm saying so 
this, like I say, this was all Scott's idea because the drop in a Bruce thing I was really excited about and then we got the bad news and I thought, oh man, that, that would just be such bad taste to be doing that now. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and then you just, what, Scott wore you down or you just both went, oh, fuck it, we'll do it anyway. <laughs> Although, I, but I think once that was like all officially announced that Bruce had retired and we we just came to the conclusion, like we can do this in a loving way, you know, mm-hmm. we're, you know, the film, the film may suck, but Bruce may still be good. We're not going to, we're not, there's not doing this in a mocking way. It's kind of good fun. And, and ultimately, who we would never watch these films otherwise. Well, I, I, I think with that as well, and, and with some of the films he's in, I think there are some people who need to be held accountable. Like, and I'm not talking about him or like his. Character. I know where you're going. Yeah. Some yeah. of the directors, right. I think, you're absolutely need to right. have been held to task with the fact that they've. He's being exploited. Exploited for a name just so they can get their kind of subpar action movie over the finish line to, to get... Yeah, let's face it, these films are probably sold before they're made. Yes. A lot of the time. So they are, they're, they're exploiting Bruce Willis and you're, ex, you're exploiting a mentally ill man. That's... Uh, yeah. That's pretty rough, you know. Yeah, so yeah. we're we I mean we're taking a love and look at these films. We we did fall out a bit on the third episode. Good. That's each what other. you want. That's what you want, right? But you know, but yeah, we're not an echo chamber, you know. We we don't agree on a lot of things. We love we both are, are equally passionate about movies just as you are. But we just got different tastes. Of course they cross occasionally, yeah. you know. We all love the same thing sometimes, but sometimes we really don't. <laughs> and that's and that's the fun of it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, you know, that's that's what I want. I want. I I sometimes feel like you learn more about a person who disagree. You know, who disagrees with you. You know. Oh, well, yeah. We all love. Yeah, we all love the Godfather. You know. But when I hear someone say I don't, I'm like, okay, let's let's get into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah let's get into that, it. That, that's the look, you're not going to convince. You're, yeah, you're not going to convince me. That the Godfather's a bad movie, and I, I might not be able to convince you that it's a good movie. Uh-huh. But let's chew the let's chew the fat. Let's have some fun with it. That doesn't, you know, that they are just movies at the end of the day. But well, I, some of us are more passionate than others, yeah. and that's where the fun is. I'm never convincing Scott that Ambulance is a trash masterpiece. Oh but, man! But I still got time for the guy. I still, hello, Scott. I know you're listening. Uh, <laughs> He's out there somewhere waving his fist at the screen. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you order? But, um, hey, well, you'll have to come on. Yeah, you'll have to come on the, <laughs> the cheeky bastards and plead the case for Mr. Bay. See, I got, I, and, and th- this is kind of, I don't cross pollination between podcasts that if you guys aren't listening to cheeky bastards, you definitely should. It's a, it's a fun <laughs> tongue, tongue firmly planted in cheek. Uh, Indeed. Podcasting. But, uh, <laughs> You guys got a kind of a vitriolic email from a from a listener, and I got a message kind of fairly after that episode went out. Oh yeah, fairly closely after that episode went out from Scott, being like, "Is this you, by the way?" I was <laughs> like, "No, it's not. It's not me." <laughs> well, funnily enough, I am um, another one of our podcast and pals, Sean. I I messaged him and said. Do you think that was Petros? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm actually convinced now that Scott. I think Scott might have gone mad, and he's he's emailing himself. <laughs> just maybe. For the, just for I the have drama. no idea. If, I guess this guy's for real. Um, 
But he's the very person we're talking about where he's like, you two can't even agree on whether The Whale is a good movie or not. And I'm like, well, A, it fucking isn't. Pardon my French. It's not <laughs> a good movie. Scott's wrong. And, of course, Scott would say the opposite. But that's that's how it works. That's life, yeah? We don't all agree. But, we, but can't we just get along? Can't we get along? <laughs> Apparently not. Well, something something we can get along about is uh, the Coppola family. I'm sure we can we can we can we've got we've already said there's a mutual love for the Godfather Absolutely. between the two of us. But what I want to know from you, Steve, is when did you become aware of the Coppola family? So was there like an entry point member of the family that you remember seeing a film from? And when did you kind of realize that there was this whole kind of battalion of Coppola standing behind their general? That is yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good question because obviously Nicolas Cage changed his name. Yep. So I'd seen him in well, the okay. So the first Coppola, let's just say the first the first Francis Ford Coppola movie I saw was Rumblefish. Now, amazing. I I was born in the early seventies. Early seventies. I would have seen Rumblefish close to when it came out. So I think it came out in 1983. I would have seen it in 84, 85. That's, so that's the first. I, you know, I wasn't a nine-year-old kid sat there watching The Godfather. <laughs> okay, <laughs> not that cool. But Rumblefish, I mean, and just like millions of other young men all over the world fell in love with Diane Lane. And, of course, we all wanted to be... Matt Dillon. Yeah, or, or, or the motorcycle kid. We all wanted to be, uh, well, to be Mickey Rourke. Well, I, I felt, I did feel even at that point, I could, <laughs> I would never be Mickey Rourke. And quite, frank, <laughs> and quite frankly, now I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be Mickey Rourke. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, at the time, you know, Matt Dillon, I think his, um, well, you had the outsiders as well. Yeah, which I think work as this kind of perfect, like, pairing. I fairy, of, I... well, there's a fairy tale nightmare element to both, you know, well, they're, they're they're peculiar films. And they work in a thing of, like, they're both kind of coming of age, but, like, the way Coppola yeah. has done them is, obviously, you've got the outsiders feels like it's very much geared towards teenagers. And then, mm. like, Rumblefish is like an art house film for teenagers. Do you totally. know what I mean? It's like that kind of, that bridging yeah. the gap between... Almost like you... That's a surprise, a surprise to a lot of people that they were made by the same guy. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not like, oh, uh, you know, they, they don't. Uh, I mean, I know you've got cert, certain acts in the same. Well, and it's based on two Essie Hinton books as well. So the same. Yeah. Yeah. So, but they're very different. They're very different yeah, yeah. Um, personality wise. And I mean, yeah, Rumblefish is still a beautiful film to look at. Well, yeah, I've got it right here. A nice uh, Eureka. Oh, you've got the book. damn steel book. <laughs> this is me waving my fist. I haven't got the, I haven't got the um, steel book, but mine's right behind me too. And um, yeah, so that would be that would be my first um, introduction. Would you have known it was a Francis Ford Coppola film, or were you kind of just no, like... not not at the not when I was like I say I must have been twelve years old, thirteen. Mm-hmm. I don't think I was quite there yet. Yeah, yeah. In my I was I, I love movies. Um, I was watching some pretty great stuff actually by the time I was like nine, because obviously being a child of the video age. 
Um, <laughs> my dad used to bring home some crazy movies and no one knew. We didn't know what they were back then. Yeah. <laughs> you know, your dad would be like, let's watch Shogun Assassin. My nine, my my nine, my cool nine-year-old son. Let's watch Shogun Assassin. I distinctly remember going to school after seeing Shogun Assassin, and um, my friends were like, "I remember that distinctly." They were like, "Yeah, we went to see ET last night. What did you watch?" And I'd be like, "Well, I watched Shogun Assassin." And then to see, obviously, Shogun Assassin shows up in Kill Bill as well. <laughs> so it's just like I really like the such an. Such an influential movie. And like I say, when I saw that film when I was a kid, that freaked me out. You know, <laughs> absolutely. Because, uh, uh, But it, obviously it freaked my dad out as well because he didn't know what it was either. We used to get all these crazy movies and they, we'd plonk them on, you know, and we'd just sit there and you didn't know what you were going to get. <laughs> and I remember that one. That was, And I'm going way back now, showing my age. But, yeah, so... Uh, but, yeah, anyway, back to... Mr. Coppola. Um, yeah, so it was all like video age stuff. And obviously, yeah, I wasn't really aware of who Francis Ford Coppola was yet. But it wouldn't take it wouldn't be long. Mm -hmm. It wouldn't be long because obviously I'd see Rumblefish. And then I guess being the age of 12, 13, you're gonna come out, you're gonna so you're gonna see The Godfather. Yeah. Which at that point in the early eight was probably on TV quite often. Like, um, and did, and that's where I did see the name and was like, hang on a minute, you know. I, 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 I'm not sure what your kind of first because I, I I would have watched The Godfather when I was fairly young. Yeah, and my like I've kind of like done a 180 on the film because I think when I first saw it, and I guess it's that thing of of just being young, and I guess like where I am that bit bit much younger. Mm. Anything that's kind of older, I was a bit like. Oh, like, and the fact that it's a film, it's men talking in rooms. I'm kind of fascinated to know, like, as a, as a teen, obviously you probably would have been grown up on stuff that would have been a slower pace, like the Godfather. Yeah. yeah. When you first, do you do you kind of recollect first seeing it and how how that kind of felt for you when you first saw it? Yeah. See, I've got a. I was into quite adult movies. Yeah. I mean, adult movies. I don't mean adult <laughs> movies. Yeah, Although. <laughs> You know, they weren't so easy to come by back then. But I was into quite adult-orientated stuff when I was a kid. And I think, you know, I'd love to, you know, this is for another time, but to talk about the video era, the things that just got shoved out on video and were just available, yeah. I got to see. I, you know, I got to see films like, I got to see Dario Dario Argento movies when I was like nine. Well, I don't I don't think it's necessarily a fact of like the fact that it was an adult thing because I was into like I was watching like Commando when I was like nine. Mm. I was into yeah, adult yeah. stuff, but just like it's. A, yeah, I know what you mean it's a about the maturity. Time removed, right? It's a, it's that yeah. kind of like yeah, and especially The Godfather where. You've got there's a maturity there's a that's a deliberately paced film that I don't find it slow at all I never have, um, but you I felt kind of aware even then that you know the whole um, the whole Scorsese De Palma Coppola thing mm -hmm. to a lesser extent George Lucas Spielberg. Because they were in a different world. That was a different. You, well, yeah. Well, yeah, the, the, there's an argument that like there is no George Lucas without Francis Ford Coppola because he. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He basically hired him to 
uh, yeah. do, do like uh, behind the scenes footage on rain people and like uh, yeah yeah so helped him fund thx one one three eight and uh, American yeah so yeah so I, I came to um, I came to films like The Godfather Scarface Taxi Driver Raging Bull relatively young I was relatively young I, I mean I didn't see obviously something like Mean Streets you wouldn't have got to see till later that wasn't available openly available you know um the thing with capola is i mean you know there's the whole godfather 2 is better than godfather and i'm always a little bit like yeah you could say that but that doesn't make the godfather a lesser movie and then sometimes i'm a little bit like yeah but without you know you you've got to have a godfather to have a godfather 2 so well, ultimately the, the fact that it is it is called part 2 just shows you that they are one one side like they are they are one beast one does not work without the other three however is a whole well, other story but the, like then again i don't think that's as bad as people say it is that's not you know i find rating movies is a good shorthand where you know people are like, oh i don't like to rate movies and i'm like shut the hell up you need to because it yeah. tells me who you are okay and if i don't know who you are why am i talking to you you don't know that The Godfather is a five out of five movie, <laughs> or you know, you you should know you're a grown you're a grown up. Pull yourself together. You know, there's always this thing about oh, I don't like to review, I don't like to rate movies, and I'm like, get over yourself, get over yourself. The Godfather is a five out of five movie. Godfather three is a three and a half. That's the way I see it. There's there's a lot to be said for Godfather Part Three. Look, you know, you lost Deval. And gave us, what's his name? George George Hamilton. George (laughs) Hamilton. That's like that in itself. You lose a star at least. Just on principle. (laughs) You know, so, yeah, so the whole, yeah, so the whole Godfather thing is is interesting to talk about because whenever I do watch The Godfather 2, I am like, this is an incredible, what, you know. Well, yeah, because it's kind of weird as well that, we lose Clemenza in the second one, right? And yes. he's basically just replaced with Pantangeli, who is like the exact same character. Yeah. But just Which, a, a, different, a, a completely, different guy. Who's, yeah. Who's got this connection to the family. He's living in their old house. And it's like, we're, we're supposed yeah. to be like, yeah, he's, he's, he's so close to the family. We never saw it. He wasn't invited to Connie's wedding, though. <laughs> he kind of, he, he, when the Don was in hospital, he was nowhere to be seen. Now that uh, Clemenza's dead, he's on the scene. Yeah. And so, like I say, you know, you lose Deval. I mean, but like Coppola's always sta- he said that they were going to make the Godfather free with or without him. Yeah, well, I like the thing is, like, Coppola has gone on record to say that kind of anything post one from the heart up until like I think Jack or even like the Rainmaker were all paycheck jobs to some degree yeah. or other. There's yeah. art, there's art in those films, but he he basically opened a studio, sunk it with one movie, and then had <laughs> to pay back his debts for the next 13, 14 years. Yeah, and that's insane. Um, but yeah, uh, so yeah, so Rumblefish was the one, <laughs> but then it was, but then to like we say, you know, it's not really until you make the Godfather, can, and you know, I mean, really, I know we're here to talk about pattern, but you know, Apocalypse Now, 
But I think yeah, pa- I... Pa- pa- Patton is a really interesting film to be talking about when we get to it because this is true. Yeah, and, yeah. and we'll dive into it a bit more. But yeah. there is an argument that none of that exists without without like Patton. Yeah. So um, my next question for you, Steve. And who knows? Did we... I answer the first one? I hope I did. Yeah, of course you did. You answered yeah, yeah. it and more. <laughs> oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Um, have you ever met a Copla in your travels, Steve? Have you ever, have you ever crossed paths oh, with a Copla? Me and Francis, Frankie boy, I call him. All the time. We're always schmoozing, wine tasting. All this stuff. No, I've never met any. I've never even met anyone. I've never even met anyone famous. Not even, not even British famous. I'm. Oh, I'm sorry. It's I'm right. sorry to let you down there. Well, if I was to meet one, I'd like it to be Nick Cage. Well, it's 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 exciting times because as we're speaking, literally within the week, Francis Ford Coppola joined Instagram, which is I saw of, that, yeah, which is mind boggling. I am I am following the man. Yeah, already. Man. So maybe we will, you know, be pals, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm hoping that's how. That's how. I get doesn't that mean? Doesn't that mean we're friends? Doesn't <laughs> it? If I'm. Fo- but yeah, it's a parasocial relationship. Yeah, it's social media. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. But no, I mean, you know, to, to join Instagram at the grand old age that he's at, you know. Cause well, for celebration. I'm hoping that's how I get him on the pod. I just slip into his DMs and he's yeah, like, yeah, come on, let's do it. <laughs> are you busy Friday night for a couple of hours? Have you got a microphone? That's all you... Let's, let, let, let's, let's, let's chew it out. Let's do, let's, yeah. do, let's do two hours on Friday, two hours on Saturday. We'll, we'll do the yeah. whole career. Let's just get through the... Let's just get to the bottom of the Godfather 3. That's all it is. <laughs> How much of a paycheck job was it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You might get the scoop. You never know. So, obviously, we're here to talk about Francis Ford Coppola and a, a rare kind of just solely screenwriting credit that it's got. It's this and, I believe, The Great Gatsby were the two films he just wrote and didn't write himself. Um, you, well, you've you've you, you've answered this. You're, you're, the first film you would have seen by Francis Ford Coppola would have been uh, Rumblefish. Yeah, is like so. Seeing as you've answered that, I'm going to kind of pivot this and ask you a question, just kind of off the top of my head here, and just kind of throw this upon you, Steve. So I do apologise. Go for it. But is there like a lesser known Francis Ford Coppola film that you would kind of go to bat for? Is is there one that like? A lot of people haven't seen that you kind of, I don't know, uh, stand, yeah, kind of stand up as it's not as bad or more people should see it. Well, that, well, as it was a director, you mean, or just in that he was involved with? As a direct, as a director, yeah, or if there is, yeah, if there is a film that he's kind of been involved with that you feel like um, should, should, should have a light shone upon it. Yeah, well, I'm always a little bit dubious. I mean, I actually, I'm quite, I'm quite a, I am quite a fan of the Rainmaker. You know, um, it's just someone who's added such an interesting career that, uh-huh. I mean, at Bram Stoker's Dracula. I mean, admittedly, the scariest part of that is Winona Ryder and Keanu Reeves' British accent. <laughs> <laughs> you know that. You know what? That's one of those movies. I mean, I think 
with all that stacked against it, put the Rainmaker aside, because that's a fairly standard John Grisham adaptation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, but it's a solid movie. Uh-huh. You know, um, but Dracula is incredible. Way ahead of its time. It's kind of weird, yeah. isn't it? It's timeless, because it's kind of, it uses very kind of advent of cinema technology and the way that it kind of does its special effects and, like, Kind of in camera. Wasn't that effect. one of his sons doing all that? Yeah, that was special. that was Roman yeah. Copley. Roman, that's right. Yeah, yeah he's, he's. I mean, he sacked the he sacked the effects department and just said to yeah. his son, "Do you reckon?" You and and he uses all this really quite primitive, yeah, kind of you know like puppets and um, cutouts and yeah, rear projection, well, front projection, all these. Yeah, kind of so techniques. you know, I think um, although I'm a fan of the Rainmaker, I would say you know. Dracula is pretty supreme work of art, I think. You know, the yeah. costumes, very think, lavish, very epic, very grand. That's Typical a, Coppola, though. But I think you know, that, that, that's one that's rightfully had a reappraisal. Uh, well, I hope it has. I mean, I was a fan from the get-go. I, you know, back I in the day, I was, in, I was into that. And I remember, like, um, Kenneth Branderzoo and Frankenstein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was naive enough to think, oh, maybe... That'll be as good as Dracula. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I think that's like I'm sorry, as as you know, yeah, as good as Dracula in the sense that maybe you know Coppola's given the template for everyone to update these more gothic, you well, know, um, well, universal isn't, monsters. Isn't isn't yeah the the Kenneth Branagh, Mary Shelley's uh, Frankenstein exactly? Isn't even that, in the t- isn't that produced by? Uh, Martin Scorsese as well because I think there was yeah, there, there was but, a time he was going to direct that which would have been a wholly well, fascinating no, that, thing yeah, yeah but you know I think Gary Oldman cast as Dracula is a genius move I don't think Robert De Niro cast as Frankenstein's monster is a genius move <laughs> that was the cocaine talking I guess <laughs> um that's a that was that's just not a good movie, but yeah, Dracula is pretty amazing, and I think another you know talk about Capola connections. Tom Waits, Tom Waits is, is probably friend. for me is probably the best part of that movie, yeah, and Gary to... Oldman's pretty great. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, Anthony Hopkins is chewing the scenery. He's like, he's, I love it. I love. I he, he's hilarious. Anthony yeah. Hopkins in that movie. But but Tom Waits is he's on top. You know, he's literally he's like, I would put him on I would put him level with Gary Oldman in that movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's, he he probably does the best British accent in that movie. Yeah, and he's kind of he's like he's having fun, right? And he's kind of like he's the perfect guy to play Renfield as well. He's a weird yeah. guy. And I love it. I mean, he's in Rumblefish, he's in the Outsiders. Well, yeah, he's kind of like a... a well, he t- does the music for One from the Heart. Yeah, he's a, he's a totem for uh, Copeland. I, I love the fact that that's an ongoing relationship Yeah, like, throughout his... Uh, but I'm a huge career. Tom Waits fan anyway. I love Tom Waits. Um, so, yeah, I would say... Well, no, as, as you pointed out, maybe it's been reappraised and everyone, you know, rightfully loves... Bram Stoker's Dracula now, but there was a time when that was not Yeah, derided, right? Yeah, and I think I think, I think people forget like forgive the accents for just like I don't know. I, oh, I do. I do. I forgive the accent. I say it's ahead of its time because it does almost I don't know, there's like this 
weird horniness to it and i think it's kind of been picked up by a lot of people online just for for that aspect of it of kind of yeah how, yeah no it's how, uh unashamed it is to be like a real horn dog movie like all the stuff with sadie frost and stuff like that it's like cool. yeah like, and proper like, yeah i mean it's a very it's a pretty full-on sexy movie isn't yeah, it i mean yeah. i remember my i remember from my birthday when the film came out my brother brought me a, a book on the making of the film and i had like you know it was all the kind of all the things you now get on blu-rays the special features with you know all the costume Is that designs a Peter book Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, yeah I mean, yeah, you because you get like storyboards, you get the costume designs, yeah. you get little yeah. snippets of behind the scenes interviews with people. And I, you know, so I was like, at that point of drag, I was fully immersed into, you know, totally a Capola head, really. You know, I was Amazing. totally, um, you know, because, yeah, I didn't know well, when I watched Rumblefish, I didn't know Nicolas Cage was. Who was Nicholas Cage? Yeah, yeah. Obviously, he's he's in that. I know he changed right? his name, but it wouldn't have mattered if he was Capola. Well, at that age, I don't think I would particularly, you know, been interested or even picked up on it. You know, you, back that, then, you you know, it's been a while since I watched Rumblefish. It's only the other day, kind of picking up that Blu-ray and realizing, oh yeah, Chris Penn's in it as well. Like, yeah, kind of bringing yeah. It back to, uh... Vincent uh, Vincent Spano. Um, Larry Fishburne. Yeah, Mickey Rook. I mean, you've got, a... you got Dennis Dennis Hopper. I mean, Tom Waits. Um, Larry, Larry Fishburne. Isn't yeah, Larry Fishburne. When, he, when he's still yeah. going by Larry. And, and William Smith, who, you know, was a um, big fucking muscly dude who was in, like, a, a lot of, like, biker movies and stuff in the, in the late 60s and a lot of exploitation stuff in the 70s. You know, so you've got these... Well, I think, like... This is something like I don't think I've ever really talked about on this podcast, which is weird. But I think I was always destined to get to this point of talking about the works of Francis Ford Coppola, because I only have one tattoo that references a film on my body, and across across the front of my ankles. So obviously, like, yeah, mm -hmm. the weather's quite nice at the moment. I'm wearing I'm not wearing socks or walking around. Do you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. People can see I have "Stay Gold" tattooed across the front oh, of my ankles because uh, amazing. I'm a, I'm a I'm a lifelong Outsiders fan, and it kind of and the, and I remember at that time I was kind of in love with both Outsiders and Rumblefish. Yeah, the only other oh, part, yeah I've had ideas in the past and stuff to commemorate films, but the only one that's kind of stuck with me, and I think I would I would do, is to get a tattoo of the two Rumblefish. The red and the blue rumblefish, like pretty just, cool, like just pretty cool idea. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, rumblefish and outsiders. I mean, I mean, yeah, you know, look at the cast of outsiders, incredible. Yeah. And Diane Lane's in both. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll talk Diane Lane all day. <laughs> well, let's not let's not. Josh Brolin is one lucky guy. <laughs> that's, his, that's his wife, isn't it? Let's yeah. not derail the podcast, Steve. And let's Whoops. talk about what we've come here to talk about. Yes, I'm sorry. I'll just ramble about any all any and all movie. I'm sorry. No worries. Well, before we talk about Pattern, let's listen to the trailer. So, Pattern was released on the 2nd of April 1970 on a budget of $12.6 million and then had a box office return of $45 million. Steve, as I do with all my guests, 
can you tell us what this film is all about? I will do my very best, sir. <laughs> Patton tells the tale of General George S. Patton, famous tank commander, famous tank commander of World War II. The film begins with Patton's career in North Africa and progresses through the invasion of Germany and the fall of the Third Reich. Side plots also speak of Patton's numerous faults, <laughs> such as his temper and habit towards insubordination. This man hates a coward. Well, let's let's get into it. And what, yeah. So, the first question is, why why did you pick this film to talk about on this podcast? Because I think, or you know, because he wrote it. He, that was it. He at this point. I mean, I think he wrote it. Um, he wrote the script, screenplay in like nineteen sixty four. Yeah, nineteen sixty four, nineteen sixty five. Yeah, yeah. And and, um, and do you know that? Do you know how he managed to get? He that? was four years old when he did. No, <laughs> no. Do you know how he managed to do that? Is what he he basically had lied about his kind of military is, credentials. Like, is that right? Yeah, because he <laughs> he he went to a military academy for a while. And uh, basically, just dropped out, just stopped going. Yeah, well, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I want, I chose it because I can remember. I didn't know I'd seen Patton, but I didn't know. Well, I mean, when it came out on DVD, that's when I found out he'd written it. But uh -huh. I'd seen it previously, and I was like, "That can't be right." Francis Ford Coppola didn't write Patton. Um, and then obviously when you see it, it's a, it's a peculiar film, isn't it? Um, because I've, what I find odd about Patton is it's, it's a character study. So sort of, it's a character study hybrid sort of war movie. Yet he's literally, apart from Carl Malden, who's in it for about 25 minutes, there isn't, there's a lot of people in this movie, but it hasn't got much of a cast, has it? No. It's no, all no. George C. Scott yeah, 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 as, yeah, 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 yeah. As, as the titular pattern. I mean, I was, yeah, I'm watching it again. I'm like, it's all, you know, had George C. Scott sucked in this movie, it would have been quite a slog. I mean, he, you know, he's, dare I say, for, this is quite a statement to say that George C. Scott is quite subtle in this film. Well, yeah, and, and, and I think, so this was a first-time watch for me. Okay. Watching it for this podcast. And I've got to admit, like, going in, I was kind of a bit like, oh, what are we in for? Do you know what I mean? Especially the fact that this film opens with, like, the American flag. just like, <laughs> Incredible for opening sequence. Incredible. Um, the thing is, <laughs> my mind immediately went to... Uh, have you ever seen uh, the Sesame Street movie, uh, Find That Bird, the Big Bird movie? Uh, you're more of a cinephile than me, obviously, because no. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't even heard of it, quite frankly. Well, it's this really, it's a, it's a bizarre 1980s movie that I think it's worth a watch. It's kind of, it's got some very bizarre imagery in it. It's kind of like... I'll track it down. Nightmarish in, in places and like quite fun. But that film starts off exactly the same with the massive American flag. But yeah. instead of uh, 
Patton delivering this kind of rousing speech. We have Oscar the Grouch delivering wow. a speech from his trash can. <laughs> I need to see this movie. I need to see this movie. <laughs> but um, yeah. So with that in mind, like with this kind of American flowers, like, oh, is this going to be like some kind of jingoistic flag waving, like pattern single handedly, like took down Saving the Nazis? The world, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, but then I was just so pleasantly surprised watching the movie and being like, wow. Like, this is kind of, I don't know, to kind of go into some of the stuff that, like, you wouldn't even have thought that would have been issues in 1943, 1944, that were, and the kind of psychology and this, just painting a portrait of a man who is in yeah. this position. And not really. I don't, I, I don't think the film takes a hard line on pattern is good pattern is bad like I'm, no, I'm, i may be wrong he's, very, he's a very complex man you know um yeah i mean uh, and that's i'm sure a lot of that is would be down to capola and you know all these guys you know capola scorsese de palma they they did make these that's where you start to get these more complex characters, you know. And I mean, the director, I mean, did Planet of the Apes. He did Papillon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Boys from Brazil. You know, no slouch. And I think, I think um, Edmund, was it Edmund North who? Yeah, co-wrote it. I mean, I think maybe... What? I don't know. That may have been, that may have... Capola may have lacked the experience for a project of that magnitude. The only and I think, I they, prob- think- they probably roped in, they probably roped in Edmund H. North to kind of, you know, to go over what the script, uh, like you say, because he lacked the, what that? He, he lacked the military that, credentials. The there's like five years difference between the film being written and the film being, they might just need someone to kind of come in and, tinker it up do you know what I mean well yeah that's what I mean I think like he was an old hand wasn't he yeah. you know Edwin, Edmund North I mean he he wrote the Day the Earth Stood Still <laughs> um, you know so I think like just to kind of give a bit of structure that might have been a bit of an erratic script someone like Capola's being a bit of a madman you know but um, but yeah you know George, Ski, George C. Scott plays Patton as a, he's a really complex individual because I just love the fact that like he he awards himself medals in the movie. Well, like so I like like what like when I watched the film, I kind of did like a little bit of a dive into uh, George George like George Patton himself. Yeah, a very peculiar guy in the fact that he was like a hardline Christian and also like. And that's that. That's something that the film gets into as well, and it's kind of like a, a, a character quirk that he's like really into reincarnation, and <laughs> believes that like, and he kind of says it, and like he gets laughed down in the movie, but like he says he's been at all of these great wars, and I was like, is this just like a kind of artistic choice that they've taken for the film to kind of make this guy a bit more eccentric? But 
from all my research, like, no, that that is that is fact. Like, he believed this stuff. He was kind of like, and and what one thing I wish we had seen is apparently in real life he had a lot more high pitched voice. Yes, I yeah, I read that myself. To make up for it, would swear loads. I'd love to have seen the like. Do you know what I mean the fifteen eighteen rated version of this film? Just pattern like you fucking fuck fuck fuck. Do you know what I mean all <laughs> over the place? I found an interesting um, quote from General Patton about that you cannot run an army without profanity, <laughs> and it has to be eloquent profanity. An army without profanity couldn't fight its way out of a piss soaked paper bag. Now that is an actual quote from the man himself. That's but he, he does he does that thing, doesn't he, where they, they're looking for the battlefield in one scene. And he yeah. says, no, the battlefield's over here. And he takes him to, obviously, a field where... They, he takes him to a field where a battle was fought centuries ago, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah. And he starts delivering this whole... Soliloquy. Like. And he says, doesn't he, he said... Because it starts, doesn't it? It starts with a poet once said, and he goes into this <laughs> soliloquy, and then he goes, and you know who that poet was? That poet was me. (laughs) (laughs) He's just this egomaniac, you know, just crazy sort of, you know, I say hate, you know, he does this thing with, you know, he hates cowards and he's so overly patriotic, yet he's at the same time incredibly sensitive. So that's just this, and I I can't help but think that's got to be the Capola touch, I would think. Yeah, and, and and kind of how poetic the character is. Yeah, like, yeah. This weird sensitivity to him, and like, and I think that is something that I don't know. Like, Coppola really has a handle on, right? Like, you kind of, if you kind of look at this and what Coppola does next with the the Corleone family and the Godfather movies, it's this really interesting thing that I like. From from all the interviews and like reading about Francis, like he does, he like he said he's he's not really into like gangster movies and stuff like that. Like he kind of he said, and that like, shows. That's that's so obvious. He's not. Yeah, and it's like he is is a bit too like he doesn't want to glorify, and he was he's more interested. And I think what what makes that film so successful is he's more interested in like the family dynamic of it and like kind of what it is like what that power does to the human soul yeah and i i think actually going back to what we were saying earlier about when you were a kid and you're watching this stuff i think that's kind of why you were allowed to watch the godfather when you were a kid Uh because although it is a very ad it's an adult movie but not because there's a lot of swear and all blood and guts in it yeah yeah. it's kind of tame like it's kind of tame for like because i remember it being an 18 i'm pretty sure no, yeah, yeah, it's been yeah. demarked to a fifteen, maybe, or maybe, yeah, yeah, by now. I mean, but yeah, so I, I think like, um, you know, with Patton, and again, there's a beautifully shot movie as well. Yeah. You know, it is. I, I just found watching it again, because like I said, you know, I've, I've seen it a couple of times before, but I'm not overly. It's not something I've watched a hundred times. But watching it again. You know, it's it's like it's all centered around not only the character of Patton, but it's all also centered just around George C. Scott. Yeah, like the it, like the film lives or dies by that performance. Unfortunately, got an Oscar for it anyway. Yeah, which he turned down. Which like yeah, it, or he just didn't 
turn up to receive. Yeah, he well, didn't. Like he, he, there's a quote of him like when he turned it down, saying like, uh, like the Oscars, he didn't agree with the way that they kind of handle like their voting system and stuff like that. And like, and he was up against comp- competitiveness, wasn't he, in the act and. Yeah, and well, he, he, he said it's just like a kind of uh, it's like a it's like a, a meat farm. I think. Yeah. He said. Like. It's yeah. Like. Which is, well, there is something to be said for that because I think ultimately we will. I think with Oscars, well, I think know, we all you know. I, I think people have like outrightly said that like a lot of Oscar voters don't even watch all of the films that are. No, that's a popularity. Yes, yeah, it is literally a popularity contest. They know they like and they're going to vote for them regardless of the film, probably. Yeah, but I mean. You know, John Wayne was up for the part of Patton. I did. I, I, like, I don't think. I, I think George C. Scott's the right guy. Obviously, he's got. Yeah, but there was, it was there was John there was John Wayne, uh, Lee Marvin, Rod Steiger, Robert Mitchum, Burt Lancaster. But yeah, it's impossible now, obviously, to see anyone else in the part but George C. Scott. And I usually find him to be a bit. He does chew the scenery, that guy, a lot. Um, but I think he's he, he surprisingly well. subtle in this movie. Yeah. I think he's quite subtle in, in comparison, I'm talking about. You know, if you watch... I mean, I know everyone seems these days seems to love Exorcist Free, but this performance of that is so <laughs> over the top. It's insane. It's in, as insane as the movie is. But, um, yeah, I was, just, I was just reminded more so than ever that, yeah, this, is all, this film all seems to ride on... On, on the performance he's giving, you but, know. Um, but I think in the moments he does get to chew up the scenery is because of the eccentricities of the character as opposed to, like, an actor not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, yeah. I know, yeah, I totally agree. I think in, in these instances, the, the, the situation demands the explosive Yeah, or well, just this what... kind of... It's this, it's, it's, this, it's this odd guy, right? And there's, like... There's really, like, the, the, the thing I didn't think going into this that there would be is there's this kind of, like, vein of humour throughout the film as well. That like, I found myself kind of chuckling to, like at these situations he finds him in. And just, just the sight of George C. Scott in those big glasses as well. Like, as the film progresses, he, he has to put on these, like, glasses. <laughs> they're, like, massive kind of, like, Joe 90s-style glasses that he, he puts on. And, like, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean... um. Is actual they they do they do mention it in the film, but his his nickname was Old Blood and Guts. Yeah, because he... like that's that was his genuine nickname, <laughs> Old Blood and Guts, and someone does call him it in the film actually. So, well, because he he's like re- like his whole thing like I've I've got it here like his his opening speech, and I I kind of paraphrased some of it in the opening of this podcast, but like. To get into it, like that opening, it's like what six and a half minutes long. So I'm not going to read out all of it, but there's like <laughs> there's a couple of lines that 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 stuck out to me. Um, uh, one one of them is something to the effect of like the the men sitting around you will be like they they they'll be happy to turn around to their like they'll they'll be there with a a handful of mush. And it'll be yeah. their, it'll be their best friend's face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, he, that that opening speech is incredible. I mean, um, apparently George so I, Scott like wasn't keen on shooting that. Like, he's like, I think he wasn't keen on it being at the beginning yeah. of the film because he felt like that would just overshadow everything else. But there's a bit in uh, in the speech he says, 
We're not just going to shoot the bastards. We're going to cut out their living guts and use them to grease the treads of our tanks. We're going to murder those lousy Hun bastards by the bushel. <laughs> I mean, it's just, just like such a... And that's so, so ex, such an extreme character. But he is. There is. There are moments. I mean, I'm sure. You know, when he, when he visits the wounded soldiers. You know. Well, that's a that's an incredibly sensitive scene. But also, he gets into a lot of trouble because he he kicks one of the <laughs> one of the guys suffering from psychological. Yeah. Well, from, damage. He kicks right? him out. Yeah. He kicks him out of the hospital. He's like, you don't belong in there with these. Heroes, yeah. and he's, he, you know, he says something to the effect of like, "I've got every right to just shoot you in the head right now." Like, <laughs> <laughs> and then he whispers to that wounded soldier and places his wound as a purple heart by his side, doesn't he? But you don't know. I'm, you know, you never really know what he says. I don't think. But and I, you know, I, that... what do you think of the way that the character? Because obviously, we get that opening scene. We get that kind of, kind of, yeah, that 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 monologue at the beginning. Yeah, but then. When we kind of like next see the characters, we get all that stuff in, in the kind of yeah in uh what where is the first? I'm I'm kind of I'm kind of thrown off by all the locations in this film. There's a lot. There are actually no. I got a bit lost at points, <laughs> but yeah, um yeah, you get a lot of you get a lot of that um a lot of that stuff where you know, like I say, he starts giving himself medals and oh yeah, because it's the, the, you know. The Kazarine well, battle, isn't it, to begin yeah. with? And yeah, he... and he starts... <laughs> Sorry, yeah, no, he, he gives himself... Mouth. He starts, you know, for such a patriot and such a strict guy, he starts disobeying orders and... Yeah. And trying to angle, you know, because he's up against... He wants to go up against Rommel, doesn't he, The in the tank? <laughs> he's a bit like, uh, jealous of... You know, jealous of other generals for getting to be on the same battlefield as Rommel, but it, and he can't. So you've got all these kind of situations that he's trying to bend to his advantage. Well, there's and, this kind of like funny thing of this like pettiness of oh, the extremely. character. Extremely. And throughout war, you would have thought that like you would be all fighting the good fight for the greater good, but there's still this big like dick swinging contest of like, do you know what I mean? Like, when they're talking about the different ways to invade Sicily, yeah, he's, he's he's got his idea, but then the British, like Montgomery's, like, well, no, I think we should do it this way, and then like he gets his nose bent out of shape, but he's like, oh, get to Messina if it's um, if it's the last thing I do before that <laughs> before that limey bastard, like, <laughs> yeah. But when he um when um is it uh, Marshal Conningham and General Buford turn up about the air cover. Because that's quite farcical, where they're having the meeting about the lack of air cover, and they t- and they tell they tell Patton that there's there's ample kind of air cover, and then they come under attack. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, it's like it's a no fly zone. Like, yeah, yeah you know, we've got it. the airspace. Don't worry about it. It's like, I promise you, General, there should be no more planes. And then there's <laughs> and, um, and then he then it then you know that, that's that's like something out of like. Um, Carry on or something. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Dad's army. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's really farcical and broad. Um, but then, and Pan goes out of his pistol and starts shooting yeah, out of planes. And he mean? says, "If you find the men flying them planes, I'd like to give them medals." <laughs> it's like, you know, that's the Nazis. The guy is, you know, he's off his rocker, isn't he? Yeah, and I, I like the kind of way that we kind of get him painted. Like when he first turns up 
to their kind of barracks at the start and they're all like they're basically like they're on like a jolly these guys aren't they they're kind of all like dossing about We've got that bloke sleeping, and I love it. And he's like, he's like, yeah. what, what do you think you're doing? And he's like, oh, I was sleeping. He's like, well, at least he's like, get back to it. At least you're a man who knows what he's who knows what he's doing. Because the rest of them are kind of like, don't know their ass from their elbow. Yeah, no, there is there is that element, isn't it? A bit like, um, yeah, just they're, they're just they're just all a bunch of louts, really, aren't they? Kind of with no real leadership there. And then he turns up, doesn't he? And he's like an absolute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because well, he kind of like he shows his dominance in the in the mess hall, doesn't he? And he's like, they're like, oh, breakfast runs from six till eight, and it's like quarter and like, two, and all, all of the all of the officers are coming in, and he's like, nah, it's like last service is at six <laughs> fifteen. <laughs> like, yeah, this from the guy who you know who's just trying to, you know, make his own rules and like I say, decorate himself with medals. And he's like this, he's an egomaniac, but incredibly sensitive to, you know, to the soldiers that have been injured in battle. And and to the, you know, to the fam, you know, to the family members who, that he writes to and mm. he sends the, he sends a lock of hair to the, the young guy's mother <laughs> and, you know, but I love even when like because you get that voiceover, don't we? Like when he's talking about is it's like Richard Richard Jensen that he's talking about who, who gets killed in that first battle, and he says about him, he's like he was a good man, he had no vices, and it's like like that's like that's like the Christian element coming. Isn't it? Yeah, it's like the yeah. Fact he's got no vices, like he didn't smoke, like he didn't, he didn't like women, like or like to that degree, he just kind of like got on with it. It's like I love that he he still has to have that like kicker of like, well, he had no vices. That makes him a good man in my book. <laughs> well, I think um, yeah. So I think Capola probably. I think, I think Capola was primarily interested in the character yeah and pattern that shines through right that kind yeah of... and, and i think edward edmund north was probably there to give the structure to the actual um turn of events well yeah because it's like because in the wrong hands i think with with kind of screenwriters and like a director this film could really like the wheels could fall off because is very episodic and i'm not sure about like the version you watched of this but i watched a dvd and like this kind of is indicative to the the lasting memory of this film is i remember it must have been 2021 maybe maybe 2020 when i knew i was going to be doing this whole project i started yeah. like grabbing some films on physical media just so i was like do you know what I mean? I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to go. Oh well, it's on Netflix or whatever. But then, come six months' time, it's no longer there. Um, yeah. I was randomly in Sainsbury's International Listers. That is essentially Walmart or Walgreens, like a supermarket. Yeah. I was in a supermarket, and they had they had the DVD of Pattern for sale. Which is like that's the one I've got. That's yeah. the same one I've got. Yeah. Which is like this is like what like. Yeah, like a fifty-three-year-old movie, and it just feels to me it's like this is weird that it's still there on the shelves of a supermarket, considering they're like, I don't know, maybe it was close to Father's Day, 
gentlemen, and it seems to be like a a Father's Day pick DVD. But it seems to be weird of all places. Like, yeah, HMV, absolutely fine. But like the fact yeah. that like especially the way that like supermarkets have lessened and lessened their kind of DVD sections over the last five years. Yeah, I mean, do you think um, the fact that it's in a supermarket? Do you think that's because of the Coppola connection? No, I think it's just because this film kind of has this lasting memory with people. And I think like, I don't know. It, yeah, it is. I think it's a, a dad's favourite. You know yeah. I mean? like, like... <laughs> oh, no doubt. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, I guess so. But I just find it kind of odd that. I find it quite odd that you found that in the supermarket, quite frankly. Yeah, that's what I mean. I was especially like, a couple of years ago, or yeah. whatever it was. That, yeah, yeah that, that is that is quite strange. That is that is the odd part about it. Like I thought, oh, maybe I have to hunt out for this one, but the fact that it was like readily available in a supermarket of all places. Yeah, no, I had to dig through. Um, I had to dig for a few boxes because um, I haven't got a lot of DVDs left. That's for certain. And the only ones I do have are things that never quite made it to Blu-ray. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, he's a, he's um, oh yeah, I certainly think that Cap- Capola was drawn to what a complex character he was. Yeah, and I think that's yeah. that's the secret weapon of this film, right? It's that like... is definitely because without well, no, that's kind of where I was headed with it all being on George C. Scott's shoulders. Is I think. I think Pauline Kyle actually said a similar thing about, you know, there's not much else there. Uh-huh. It's not, you know, I think towards the last hour, it does kind of, it kind of loses its way a bit. Yeah. Where you're just. Well, yeah, because my version just, had an he, intermission. But then, but the, yeah, well, I there th- is the intermission. I think after the kind of intermission, I think the wheels start to start to come off ever so slightly. Some yeah, it, it starts to wobble a little bit where you're just seeing him repeat the same mistakes again and again. Yeah, like with his big mouth, basically. There's some funny moments like that. That that moment when he goes into he goes into that house that he's staying in in London, and yeah. it's just like a room like that's covered in mirrors. And like immediately they're talking about Normandy and he's like, yeah. oh, I've got some plans about that. He's like, how about we go through Calais? And the guy immediately shuts him down. He's like, no, no, no. The reason you're here is you are basically like a glorified decoy. We we want to think the Germans to think that you're you're gonna be like manning the attack. But then yeah. you've just got to, you've just got to, you've got to go do a speech to the to the to the Nutsworth, like yeah, the Nutsford um ladies uh, ladies yeah ladies society and then he fucks that up as well <laughs> yeah he can't help himself can he <laughs> he just gets all you know he because he he gets himself riled up rather than those around him he's he can't yeah he's he's like larry <laughs> david was a, a, a general in the in in the war do you know what i mean like he's like <laughs> <laughs> yeah because he because he does like literally sab- self sabotage himself, doesn't he? Yeah, because you got that guy. Who's that guy who looks like Parker from from Thunderbirds? Who's always knocking about with him? You know, the guy with the big eyebrows. Oh, I know you mean. I know <laughs> you mean. I can't remember his name. <laughs> but there's that weird. There's there's that weird um scene with the 
with the black soldier who who says to him about having a sleeping pill. Well, I think that is the thing, like... Because that's they... quite strange, because he's not in any other scene. Yet that's almost like you're meant to know who he is. But, and Do you know what I mean? And there is a thing as well, because obviously he is like... He's like basically like a servant to him. Like, he's, when we first, well, like he goes into his room and he's polishing his helmet. Yeah, not, not, a, not a euphemism. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's literally... More tea, Vicar. <laughs> and I was like... Immediately when I saw that, I was like, oh, man, do you know what I mean? Like, mm, fighting, but... fighting for the country and still being made to, to, still being made as a second-class citizen. Do you know what I mean? Well, like, that was the, you know. That was the style of the time. Yeah, we're just, so, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, it's kind of like, yeah, that. but I think that whole thing of him taking the sleeping pill is because they didn't know how he would react right because the guy who has been basically his second in command has basically been given his job because he he slapped he slapped one of the which again that kind of stuff didn't like i didn't think that kind of stuff would be going on the fact that like i thought that would have been all above you know what i mean not above board but like they would have been like you know whatever you slap someone this is world war this is 1940s baby do you know what yeah. I mean? let's, let's just do it Whereas, yeah. like, it's kind of interesting to see, like, that, I don't know, the decorum of people, and especially the way that Patton holds himself. There's that amazing moment between the Germans where they explain, like, what he is like. They say he's a man from the 16th century, and they explain a story of him, like, <laughs> seeing a woman being bundled into a van he pulled out a gun and made them, like, return the woman that turned out. Yeah, he's like a mythical... There's almost... <laughs> The Germans see him as almost like a mythical kind of figure, don't they? But then also, I mean, then Rommel had the same kind of, you know, it, when people muttered the name of Rommel, there was all this kind of, you know, oh, he's like the, you know, the Germany's secret weapon. He's like, yeah. you can't outthink him and it's going to take us. And like that was the thing, wasn't it? They were like, the way they spoke of Rommel, you know, Patton wanted to defeat him because of, his rep. Yeah. So like you said about the whole dick measuring contest, it was all about like, I don't give a fuck about this war. I want that guy. I want to be the one who took down Rommel. I think there's a subtextual thing to this. And I think they kind of like subtly signpost it with the kind of use of the like news footage and stuff like that. Obviously like quite like a propagandary edge to it. That's quite interesting that they do that as well in the film. I quite, I did like that. But there is a thing of like this thing of buying into the propaganda of the other side and people, and just kind of like commenting on the fact of people buying into propaganda, like the fact that the Germans, but like, I think sometimes they try and shoot it down, like the propaganda of, but like the, the, the film almost portrays like the, yeah, the propaganda of people throughout wars and just the general propaganda of war as well. Well, yeah, because he is, even when, when I saw, when I saw Patton, like back in the day, I like, I, why did I know who Patton was? You know, it's that thing, isn't it? Of like they, these, they, these mythical figures, you, yeah. know, you know, I knew, I don't know. How the, I don't know how the fuck I knew Patton was. I mean, like Hist- for all intents history. For all intents and purposes, he's a bit of a bastard. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> well, I think that, but no, that's the thing with me. I'd always, 
assumed that. That's what I kind of knew him as. A bit of a bloodthirsty bastard. Mm -hmm. But in the film, you do see a more sensitive, you know, side to him. He wasn't a one-dimensional character. He wasn't this stone-faced, you know, military mad bastard. He, he was incredibly sensitive and he did care about his men. Mm-hmm. But then it does. But then it gets out of hand, doesn't it? It's that power yeah, yeah. goes to his head. Absolute power, like corrupts. Absolutely. Corrupts absolutely. Yeah, yeah, because obviously he these men end up being put in danger because of him. Yeah, and, and it the, does. And it does kind of dawn on him at one point that this is all his fault. And I think I think that he all... does have the humility towards the end, doesn't he? Where he realizes that he's put people in danger who needn't have been in danger. Yeah, and like, you know, so you, you get that, and he bows down to 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 Bradley as well, right? When like Br- Bradley kind of gives him a bit of a dressing down, being like, "If it was up to me, I wouldn't have you as my second in command," because like, yeah, that's right. I would have right, done. Yeah. I would have done things differently in Sicily, and like he does that thing of he just eats shit and just kind of says like, "Well, if anything, I'm a, I'm a man who follows commands, so like I'm." I'm here. Do you know what I mean? Like he doesn't, he doesn't blow up in that moment. So it's no, like, he kind of eats accepts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I guess, yeah, he's a, he's a very complicated guy. And like I say, you know, it is dressed up as a war movie, but really it's a character study. I, and, and, um, and I think some of like, and, and I guess I'm going, I'm going to like, sorry, sorry, Edmund, but we're going to like hand some of that, like kind of praise to Coppola because, Look what he does, like, two years later, or seven years later, I guess, because he wrote the script in 65, but what he does with the Corleone family, where it's like he's humanising these monsters. He's humanising... Well, that's what they all did. See, this is the this is the rep that Coppola, Scorsese, and De Palma have got, isn't it? They, they all did that. You know, you look at Travis Bickle as well, you know. I mean, I know us on a much more kind of... You haven't got that kind of family angle that you're mm-hmm. talking about, but they did that. They 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 gave these characters a a real sort of sympathy. You, you know, you, fit, well, you feel even, any it's kind. It's not even of... a case of sympathy, right? It's almost this element of like we'll just we'll just present them as they are, good and the bad, instead of like yeah. this kind of like. I don't know, Disney villain kind of waving their cape. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like and big not twirling lines. their moustaches and yeah. Yeah they, yeah, they just do this kind of, they they, they play in the shades of grey as opposed to the black and the white. Which I Yeah, they're complex in- characters and they've, you know, and you do, you you know, even if you don't feel sympathy for them, you do recognise their emotions and traits. You do... They're relatable, yeah, which is odd, you know, to, to because of the kind of lives they lead. But it rings true. You, I don't think it was believable. Why Patton has had such a lasting kind of impact on people, and it's kind of I don't know from like, I think no matter where you fall on the divide of it, like whether you like because, like myself, I, I think I think war inherently is, is is a bad idea. Do you know what I mean or like yeah. However, however you however you fall on the side of it, and like what 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 your beliefs are on war and stuff like that, you can look at um, this film with the kind of like with these different lenses and like 
I imagine people who are kind of like, hoo-ha, like, let's go to war, watch this and be like, yeah, like, come on, like, this bloodthirsty bastard. Mm. But then, like, there's people, I imagine, like myself, I don't want to impose anything on you to, to what you think, but, like, this idea that you can, like, look at it and be like, what a kind of, what a weird, like, just kind of looking <laughs> at it, is a, what a weird guy, what a weird situation. Like, yeah. Well, what? I was thinking when it comes to when it comes to talking about war, one of my favourite comedians, Doug Stanhope, said, "You know, it's a bunch of people who want to kill people, killing other people who want to kill people. So really, <laughs> we're killing all the right people. <laughs> I know it's more complex than that, but all of me, I'm like, you know." Hey, I'm not, you know. But I, I think there's enough, not, there's enough in this film to show you how ludicrous Patton is as a character. Like, there's that early moment where we see him talking about how he, like, designed some some uniforms. For some <laughs> Was it gold? Work. Yeah, gold. It's like, he it's designed like a gold, yeah, gold and red leather tank <laughs> uniform. <laughs> very, like, and with, like, American football helmets. So it sounds very That's like, right. That's right, yeah. It's kind of got like a BDSM vibe to it. Very like kind of <laughs> queer coded and like you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> And he they're actually some of the some of the battle scenes are pretty impressive as well. So, you know, you do get they do throw that in there for the if that's what you're there for. Exactly. You it, know, it's not all talk is what I'm saying. There is it is still a it is a war movie, but there's a lot less of that stuff than there is the the character stuff, and I think that was probably, I'd imagine that was at that time not what people expected. Yeah, exactly. Like you said, they were expecting a rah rah war movie, Pat and the Patriot, and how they crushed the Nazis, when really that's not quite yeah. the direction it's like. And that is definitely Coppola. Yeah, and you get like, this you get this portrait of like a pathetic man essentially. Like, and that, well, that's how it ends. That's how it ends, isn't it? Really, with you, you don't feel. Um, well, you feel sorry for him at the end, really. Well, yeah, you that, don't. He's quite. He's quite a weak, meek kind of guy by the end. That that that. I, that, I love the fact that in the final moments, the film's like, let's get in another little gag, and he nearly gets taken out by some cart. Do you know what I mean? Like something straight out of a carry on. Yeah, yeah, you know. And he's like, oh. How, it's like, how would I have been? Like, I've been, been nose to nose with the Germans and I get taken out by like a bull cart. <laughs> yeah. um, before we start to like wrap this up, Steve, one thing I found like fascinating and like, yeah, we kind of teased it earlier about like kind of the Godfather and Coppola's career as it is maybe doesn't happen without Patton. Coppola has so much has said himself that that is the case because. The reason he didn't accept his Academy Award for this film, and this film uh, is the winner of seven Academy Awards, so quite impressive. But the reason Very. he didn't accept his award was he was in New York watching the ceremony with Martin Scorsese whilst he was making The Godfather. Right. And Martin Scorsese was very aware of the troubles that Francis Ford Coppola was having on the set of that movie, like uh, Bob Evans 
kind of hated everything he had in place. The fact that he hated the casting of Al Pacino, Brando, hated the fact that uh, Coppola wanted it period set and set in New York. Like everything was against him. And he, he said multiple times he felt like he was going to be fired. And Martin Scorsese said to him that night when it was announced that he had won the Academy Award for Best Screenwriter. He's like, well, they can't fire you now, can they? <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that he got that Academy ding, Award win. Ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. Classic. So it's like how, yeah, like, that's got to be the kind of pebble in the pond that kind of has the ripple effects onto onto his career, right? Because I, I No question. That, yeah at that point probably yeah could have could have replaced him yeah i mean i guess that's um the upside of i say the upside of winning an award meaning when i say that i mean you may not care for awards but they like you say they they then pave they help progress your career they're like a necessary evil sort of thing and i I guess more so like in the past but directors at least used to get once they had once they had won an academy award would kind of get the chance to make what they wanted to make and a bit of a blank check whereas Mm. now it's kind of someone makes an award and you get like marvel or like some kind of big property just kind of try and gobble them up into their system or something like that do you know what I mean like yeah well i think i yeah i mean we're we're fortunately i think seeing that marvel's time is up hopefully <laughs> um judging by um box office receipts anyway you know so i can't see things returning to that era era Ever again, unfortunately, but you know, it's a constantly evolving thing, isn't it? And just like, just like Scorsese, Coppola, De Palma, etc. Yeah, you know, they that's that's ever changing and ever evolving. We, we won't get it again in exactly the same way, but mm-hmm. it will happen again. There were there's always new faces and new yeah new people behind the scenes, and you know, you've just got to. You know that you just got to be there for it. Well, yeah, I'm I'm a big fan of any director, and like no matter what you think of films, I'm I'm a big like fan of directors who just swing their shot and make the movies that they want to make. Like, and I would rather see a grand folly and a fail than just kind of cookie cutter cinema. Uh, <laughs> and that, yeah. yeah, but that's that, yeah, but that's that's just an era with. You know what? What's, this Marvel thing has been what, 15, 10, 15 years? I don't know, ten years. Fifteen years? Oh, yeah, like two thousand eight. Yeah, it started. I think these things they come to an end, you know. Yeah. And you know, I know, I know, Scorsese and everyone kind of spat their dummies out a bit about it all, and you know, but yeah, that's uh, they're starting to. They're already losing their popularity, so and I, I see that. I just see that as a good thing because that because ultimately that just means there's there's going to be change. Well, yeah, there's just a chance for something new, right? And I, I think yeah, I'm not saying that new, something new is going to be good either. And, and to kind of have a word and kind of like 
slightly kick back against because I know Coppola has been very kind of vocal about his like thoughts on the, the MCU and kind of superhero mm. movies and stuff like that. But I guess it's just that thing of like if you kind of go back to the fifties and sixties, it's like there were just tons of Western movies being made. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I mean? I like, agree. And you know, that was my one of my resolutions <laughs> this year was to just stop trash and Marvel stuff. And you know, look, I don't need to anymore because I just don't think, you know, it's lost its appeal to an extent. And uh-huh. these things, you know, not everything's always going to go in the direction you want it to go. No. You know, like I love, I love horror movies. I'm a big horror movie fan, but you know, there's always an era, era, era of horror movies where they suck yeah. for a while. But they re- reinvents itself just like every genre. You know, like yeah. you say, you're absolutely right. You know, how many westerns were being made between the 40s and the 60s in in America yeah. a, a year? Yeah, yeah, a yeah. Ton. yeah. And a lot of them, quite frankly, <laughs> fucking garbage, man. <laughs> They're absolute garbage. You know, I mean, when again we're going off on tangents, but you know, that's why we've that's why Sergio Leone is Sergio Leone. You know. Uh huh. It needed to fucking happen because we were just getting, you know, that for every Rio Bravo or the searchers, there were 200 lame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A man with a horse. (laughs) Yeah, you know, a stranger's rode into town and he's going to be the new sheriff. And then, oh my God, the bandits are coming and blah, 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 you know. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, that is just literally. The same, the same thing. Too many westerns, too many superhero movies. Well, yeah, and I think like, yeah, Coppola made Finian's Rainbow, which was like a a western musical. So he like, there's no, he can't really like. Do you know what I mean? And he's done it. He's done his his fair share of paycheck jobs. To do you know what I mean? To like be like, come on, you've 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 fed the studio system. You've 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 kind of. You've milked the tea of, of yeah, of course. You know you got to make some money. Everyone's got to make some money. Exactly, exactly. Well, yeah. Um, I just wanted to reel off the Academy Awards. This film was nominated for and did win. So it won Best Picture, it won Best Director, Best Actor for George C. Scott, Best Original Screenplay for Francis Ford Coppola and Edmund H. North, Best Art Direction for Yuri McCleary, Gil Pedandon. Uh, set decoration by Antonio Mateos and Pierre-Louis Fenet. Best cinematography for Fred J. Conencamp. Fantastic cinematography in this film. I must Indeed. Have. Best editing for Hugh J. Fowler. Best original sound for Douglas Williams and Don Basement. Best visual effects for Alex Weldon. And something I wanted to talk about with you, Steve, uh, is best original score by Jerry Goldsmith. What do you think of the Jerry Goldsmith score in this film? I don't particularly. I find it a little bit middle of the road. But I think that's the kind of movie that you get that kind of score for. It's not... um... It doesn't go against the grain, does it? It's kind. I found it to be kind of. Um, what's the word? Service. Just traditional kind well, of. There the, is, the, yeah. There is you know. one kind of track on there that I really enjoy, which is Patton's theme. 
and I was kind of like really like racking my brains of where do I where do I place that seeing as I'd never seen this film and it's actually used in Inside Man the Spike Lee movie oh wow and there's like there's like a sinister edge to it it's like that kind of like bling, bling, bling. it's kind of like yeah, it's the it's the yeah, it's just called Patton's theme, I believe. And yeah, just 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 google that or I I will I will if I remember, guys. I will <laughs> I will I will uh add it somewhere or like a a YouTube link. Yeah, yeah, to me I I just to me it was actually I I honestly felt that the score was one of the least memorable parts of the film for uh-huh. me. Um, but I also, in fairness, with this kind of film, I think they always are. Yes. You yeah. know, you, they don't need. They follow a certain pattern. <laughs> Pardon me. Hey. Well, hey. one of one of the things I I, I think visually, and I, I don't know if he's ever mentioned this himself, but like, I I see some of Inglorious Bastards in pattern like just kind of some of the visuals there is a specific sequence when they're kind of in like a church or something like that and there's like a lot of shadows cast and stuff like that and it reminds me of a sequence in that where like the, i think the bastards like it might be like a hugo stiglitz sequence or they're kind of kind of busting them out of prison yeah yeah and the way that yeah the i know yeah i know exactly what you like mean that. i know and exactly like, what you mean yeah like I, I i i don't know i don't know if tarantino i i i'm sure he would have seen this film I'm not sure if it's kind of lodged itself in his brain, but I'm not sure if he's ever talked about like because I think visually, and we've talked about it, like visually this film is really impressive. I think some of the shots and like like we said yeah, about that yeah, scene where he's talking about that old battle and we kind of get him on the sand dunes and stuff like that, and like it's just really, like some really yeah beautiful shots and all, all of well, funnily stuff. enough, talking about Inglorious Bastards, I actually felt like I could. I did get a little bit of an Aldo Rain vibe from the opening speech. Yeah. You know, when he's like, we're going to torture these Germans. We're going to yeah. what we're going to do to these Germans. And I'm going to train you to do it. And they're going to fear us. And that's all Aldo Rain's opening speech. You know, I'm sure that's not lost on. I'm sure that's. Yeah. No, I'm sure there's an element as well that like, I don't know. That it's like. There's part of me it's like I would have loved to have seen like a pattern cameo in that film, like just him bumbling about. Do you know what I mean? Like they bump into pattern. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, I just, mean, he's just had his knuckles wrapped for like some kind of defamatory remark he's made about someone or something. Yeah, see, this is a, just to go back briefly. But what I was kind of talking about, about like the Capola vibe of the film is, you know, a lot of time is spent with Patton, um, you know, when he, like, slaps the cowardly soldier and all this. Yet what's important is in the battles of, like, um, Verdun and all that, he's not even there. You know, he's, 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 in, he's safe yeah. from harm. And, you know... Done, yeah, Bastone, yeah, and all that. It, you know, when all them soldiers were suffering in that cold weather with no fucking supplies. Yeah, he just walks us up. Yeah, out of a, he's out of just, wall. he's all right. 
No, he's not in the trenches with these guys, is he? I'm sure he did that. But what I'm saying is the film's not interested mm-hmm. in telling the tales of the Battle of yeah. Verdun and Bastogne. It, it's, it's more interested in the minutia of yeah. his personality. Yeah, which is... You know, works. which is Coppola. Yeah, 100%. It's like... Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. I can make... Can make a like a war movie that's like tangent. That the war is just the set dressing to just look at the, exactly, the yeah. And I th- and I think that's why you you had Edmund North come in mm-hmm. was because yeah. probably the studio were like, look, we need some warry stuff in it too. <laughs> yeah, we yeah. get this um, tortured soul shit you're going for, Capola, but you know. We need some tank action too. <laughs> and Capola's like, well, I'm just some schlubby guy. I don't know shit about yeah, yeah. all that. Well, they wheel in Edmund North, who's like, well, you know, he probably was a fucking soldier when he was younger. So he, they, they got, they, you know. They figured I mean, out that Scott, Coppola I mean, doesn't Cop- actually have any, like, military credentials. No, that, like, no I don't think so. I mean, I'm, language? What's all this kind of poetic stuff you put Yeah, he's going, yeah, exactly. He's doing all that. And they're like, yeah, but we do need some grenades going off and some <laughs> limbs flying about at some point, I'm afraid. Well, that's why that, like, moment when they're, like, they're, talk- they're, they're, they're talking in that scene about, it's almost like, two pages have been stuck together where it's like yeah. they're talking about yeah there's gonna be no bombs ahead and it's like all of us or like you're playing a game of mad libs or you know like you fold the paper and someone else continues the story it's like yeah Ed, 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 edmund norse come in to fill in the blanks he goes oh yeah shit yeah yeah the bombs fall immediately like, yeah <laughs> i mean i would have, i would have like this like we, we talked about the scene earlier where the where he says you, you know when I talk about air cover and then the, the yeah, planes yeah, coming, yeah. you just sort of like, I could have handled two hours of that, <laughs> that farcical, you know, because I think like Capola would be would have been smart enough to satir- satirize it in that way. Yeah, but I don't think they were ready for that. Well, Who knows? Maybe his script was a bit more satirical, and maybe they were like, "No, we need some war stuff, so we'll lose the satire. We'll keep the tortured soul stuff." And then they ended up with what they ended up with. And what is interesting about this film is it's kind of a film all up. And, and I think it's a good point that um, Schaffner kind of put that speech up front because the whole film is basically a series of like it, it, it kind of the the big moments are like the speeches he gives. It's he all gives, in that speech. But he gives these different speeches throughout the films, right? Whether it's he does. Like, yeah. His apology speech. The speech to the kind of what are they call like the donut club of Nutsworth, yeah. Nuts, Nutsford, like yeah, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, he's giving all these, he's giving all these speeches, and it's yeah, it's kind of the politics of war, the kind of the planning of war, and the kind of the fact that like things can go wrong on the the whim of one man. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it, that, yeah. that kind of getting into that minutiae of that. Of the fact that someone's ego can determine the lives of the many. Yeah, and and the fact that the film was written in 64, made in 1970. I mean, had that film been made in 74, 75, you would have had a very different movie. Uh It would have probably been a bit more Doctor Strangelove. Yeah. 
Oh, perhaps. Yeah. What, George Although, I mean, Scott's also in that? Well, exactly, yeah. But I mean, yeah, true. But I mean, like, yeah, but that, that kind of, like I say, the satire and the mm-hmm. farcical nature of a lot of... There's little hints of that in the film, yeah. but it doesn't go... It's, re, it's too restrained because... Audience, I don't think the audiences of 1965-66 would have been ready for it, yeah. quite frankly. But I, I, I think this film kind of balances all the stuff that it's doing well. And those tonal shifts don't feel out of place. They kind of all kind of weirdly work together, I, I, I find. Because yeah. you've got that central performance from George C. Scott and the kind of central character of Patton, who is this kind of larger-than-life eccentric guy that you kind of just buy into the weird machinations of the plot and the weird stuff that goes on <laughs> it is it is peculiar you do i mean you do come away from it i think um you have seen a unique you know you have seen a, a rather unique war movie there 100 percent, 100 percent. well <laughs> before we wrap this up steve is there anything else that we've missed about the film that you would like to like to mention not really. I think I just, it's just, it's just little things. It's just the little things he says, you know, <laughs> um, I can't wait. You know, was it? He says, um, after, you know, when he sends the, um, he sends a lock of hair yeah, and he, and he's, he looks into the distance <laughs> and he says, I can't see the reason such fine young men get killed. There are so many battles yet to fight. You know, and he's like, you know, why do they? I was like, why do they have to die? You know, because if they stayed alive, we'd, our arms would be huge, and we'd win everything. Yeah. You know, so it's almost like he's being like philosophical and looking into the distance. Yeah, it's completely irrational, and he's just this, you know, you know, and the so it was that one of the one of the one of the generals said after he gives one of his speeches, one of the generals says to him, "I can't tell when you're acting." <laughs> and he says it isn't important for them to know whether I'm acting or like, not. You do know? you think it was easy for George C. Scott to play this role? Because obviously his name is George S. Patton, so obviously everyone's referring to him as George. So it's almost like either way, know? yeah. <laughs> I think um, he's, he is. Do you think I maybe he might be kind of an underrated actor? George I mean, C. you're going to know more. You'll know more about this than me, I'm sure. Was he ever in the run-ins to play Don Corleone? I don't or think. Vito? No, no, he wasn't. He, I, I don't. I, I don't think other people's names were banded about, which are a lot more preposterous than kind of what they went with. But I, I, I like of the stuff I've seen of George C. Scott. I kind of I enjoy him. Like I really enjoy him in uh, Paul Schrader's Hardcore. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. I love that movie a lot, actually. And, and you know, I know in Tarantino, Tarantino gives it a hard time in his book, but you know, I, it depends. You know, a lot of people. And I'm interested it, to because check it out doesn't some... meet your expectations. That doesn't make it a bad movie, mate. I know you've got a book to write, but <laughs> shut the fuck up, you know. And uh, there, there's like stuff he's in. I'm interested to to check out, like Rage. He he, he did the Changeling. I've never seen. That's a good movie, great movie. And there's a film he's there's a film he's in, and I remember reading the synopsis for it and being like, "How does this film like like is this real?" It's like the Day of the Dolphin. Yeah. Oh yeah, is that Roman Polanski? Or was was I think Polanski was involved with it at some point. I have no idea. I just know that it is about a man who 
Is he trains like, trains dolphin. dolphins to kill people or something to that effect. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. Um, I mean, I, like The Exorcist Three. I don't know if you've seen Exorcist Three. I haven't. I've got it. I've got it on Blu-ray. I've just, I've just never got round to watching it. You need to see it. Yeah. Whether you like it is. Yeah, I cause... don't. I know it's got a bit of a following now, but believe me, that's never been a good movie. See, this is I'm in cheeky bastards mode now. Um, <laughs> obviously, it's in the Hustler, which is well a masterpiece. The Changeling is great, and he is he's firing all all cylinders in the Changeling. Um, Twelve Angry Men. Yeah, he's I in the remake. Was like, he's, in, uh, he's in the Friedkin was remake. TV TV remake. Yeah, directed by William Friedkin, I believe. Um, yeah, that's right. Um, the Day of the Dolphin. Um, 1972, I believe. or I'm sure. I, maybe I'm wrong about Roman Polanski. Was, I think Roman Polanski was in the runners to direct it maybe at one <laughs> point or something. Um, the Last Run is pretty good. I saw that when I was a kid. But um, I think he played um, Patton again, didn't he? Yeah. Patton, like Island, the last uh, days of Patton in 1986. Yeah, um, but they are the only ones I can really think of. He's just a such a he's just so recognisable, isn't he? He's he's an he is an American, you know, icon. So he's one of them people. He's, I mean, obviously, yeah. We, Doctor Strange, love. I mean, you know. Yeah. You, yeah. You need to see the Changeling. You need to see Exist Free. Both supernatural, and only one of them is good. <laughs> Amazing, in my opinion. But hardcore, I love. Well, to to leave people with, yeah, the last days of Patton here it says July nineteen forty five. The war in Europe is over, and General S. George S. Patton is now a military governor of Bavaria. True to form, he doesn't always see eye to eye with his superiors and is prone to making comments that they don't approve of. You know what? You know what, Steve? I think I'm going to be watching The Last Days of Pattern sometime. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, I've never seen it, but count me in. Yeah, a little TV movie, two and a half hours. uh, Oh, two and a half hour TV movie. Wow. (laughs) At my age. You know, at my age, two and a half hour movie is a hard sell. That was a full. That was a full. Uh, that was a full afternoon. I imagine when it was when it was aired on TV. That was. A... Imagine the the amount of commercials in yeah, that. That's what I mean. that's, that's, yeah, a, that's four hours worth of entertainment. That's a that's blocking that's, out a whole schedule. Um, that's your whole night. So as we get to the end of this podcast, one of the things we look at is Copla connections. Was there anyone in front of or behind the camera who have worked with the Coplas elsewhere? in their filmography could you find any steve i couldn't but then this isn't really my forte this isn't really what i do i'm sure you might have a list of 50 people like the guy who, well, the caterer was the same caterer from fucking rain maker or something <laughs> i well, don't know well, I do, like, I, like i say because he wrote this he's not directing it or he's yeah. not he's not in charge probably of any of these like bigger decisions i would have imagined so but, I'm not sure there are any, but I'm sure you'll know if there are. I, I mean, 
I only Jerry managed Gold to find one. A lot of the cast members for this kind of were were kind of in their, do you know what I mean, 40s, 50s, if yes. not older in this film. So their careers don't really span on too far beyond this film too much. But uh, one of the ones I found, the, the, well, the only one I found that I found quite interesting is Carrie Lofton, who plays General Bradley's driver, was the <laughs> stunt coordinator on THX 1138. How the hell did I miss that? <laughs> and is a stunt driver on Taking Off the Pelham 123, which David Shire composed the score for. So yes. we've got that. And that's a fantastic score, by the way. Oh. And a fantastic bum, bum, movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh, classic. Bum, bum, bum. Uh, <laughs> so the way we rate these films, Steve, is I always ask, what would be the perfect wine pairing for this film? Obviously, the Copas like to quaff a nice glass of wine. What is the wine that you would pair with Patton? Okay, so full disclosure here. Wine... I have no time for wine. No time for wine. No time for wine. Wine smells like the sort of thing I would sprinkle over my chips. <laughs> do not care for it. But I have a little bit of information. Lovely. I would pair this film with a cocktail called Armoured Diesel. Okay. Created for General Patton. Amazing. Which is, which is bourbon, shaved ice, sugar, and lemon juice. He said it would build camaraderie and pride within the division. And that is a fact, Jack. Amazing. amazing. Armoured Diesel, it's called. <laughs> well, the, genuine, the, the, genuine, the genuine general pattern cocktail. Shaved ice. That feels very like, that feels. That's basically like a slushy, isn't it? Shaved ice. <laughs> well, a whiskey slushy. I mean, what's yeah. not to love? Yeah. Sprinkle some heroin in there, you know, just <laughs> let's go the whole hog. <laughs> bit, of yeah, bit of opium on the lip of the glass. Yeah, why not? You know, we're let's all go, friends here. Go. We're all friends here. We're <laughs> all grown-ups. Let's go whole um, hog. Um, yeah, so, so yeah, no wine, but come on, we've got our very own um, certified pattern cocktail armored diesel lovely um i think i think this one's a kind of a, a bit of a mixed bag like it's kind of i don't know it's it's to, to use the wine terms it's not got the kind of heaviness too much of the red wine which i thought it would have had going into the film but i don't know i think for that case the fact it's got light touches to it it's gonna have to be like Bit of a rosé for me, in the fact that okay. it's got it's got the darkness of the red and it's got the lightness of touch, like a white wine. So, uh, yeah, this is a, this. Is I a would happily partake in a glass with you. Oh, thank you so much. As too. we lament the loss of the great General Patton. <laughs> so, I must ask you, when, when when buying this wine, this metaphor metaphorical wine. How, how, what are we paying? Is this is this bottom shelf, middle shelf, or top shelf wine? AKA oh, I'm going to go mid. mid. Middle shelf. This <laughs> is mid. Yeah. Ultimately, a middle shelf movie. 
that's that 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 that's the analogy we're running with here, Steve. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> middle shelf movie, middle shelf wine. Okay. Yeah. I think I think this is. I don't know. I think if I if I rewatch this a couple more times, I think I would enjoy it even more. Uh, but I'm not yeah. sure if I've got the three hours to 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 pass with to be able to do that. <laughs> but I think this is kind of middle like teetering into the to the top shelf just because i think like it feels like a time it feels like a film that is talking about things within like world war Two that seemed like ahead of its time and the fact that it's kind of openly talking about like ptsd obviously they're still yeah. calling it shell yeah. shock and stuff like that they're talking about those aspects of it and they're kind of holding pattern to task and the fact that it is this kind of portrait of a man as opposed to just being this flag waving hoorah affair that <laughs> no i'll give you that actually that's very well put good argument good <laughs> argument sir so um based on this film alone steve are the coplas the greatest film family of all time absolutely oh yes yes come on i don't even think there's no argument <laughs> you can't argue. You know, you could try. You could try, but well, this is this yeah, is hey, the, the this tr- one. Coppola is first of first of a handful of Oscars. So let's go, baby. Yeah, how old was he? How the, how old was Coppola when he wrote this? Then so he'd have been like twenty five. Jesus Christ! It's kind of sickening when you realise he was like thirty, thirty one when he directed The Godfather. What did I do? By the time I was 30, I've done nothing. Yeah. I've done nothing since. So, Steve, the way we yes. bow out of here is I like to uh, ask people what I call the impossible questions just because I'm so happy I'm on this end of asking them as opposed to answering them. Uh, the first of which being, which Coppola member of family, uh, which Coppola family member would you keep but in doing so you get rid of the entire filmography of the rest of the family incredibly difficult oh yeah um i cannot live in a world where apocalypse now does not exist so francis is staying i'm sorry i have to lose wild at heart and mandy and honeymoon in Vegas. <laughs> but sorry, Nick. That means I would have to lose you. A big honeymoon in Vegas, fam. Who isn't? <laughs> I mean, that's in, a great movie. Indecent, I mean, you, indecent I mean, you've proposal got, for the whole family. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> you've got Nicolas Cage and James Carl. Yeah, and and um a very yeah, and a great Sarah Jessica Parker performance as well. Of, of course. And, yeah, and, and, and a plethora of Elvi. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's the correct yeah. way yeah, of putting it. Yeah, I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. Um, I do love Nicolas Cage, obviously. But I can't, I can't not have Apocalypse Now in the world. So I'll ask you this quick question before we do the last one, Steve. Yeah. Um, of the three cuts of Apocalypse Now, which one would you keep? I would keep the theatrical, the original theatrical version, because that's the one I'm the most familiar with that uh-huh. I've seen so many times. 
Um, not to say there aren't great scenes in the other cuts, but you know, yeah, um, being being in the era that I'm from, where you had, you know, you you had Apocalypse Now on VHS, and you were just the very fact that you could own Apocalypse Now in widescreen on a VHS tape. Was cause for celebration, and that's the that's the version I watched a hundred times. Well, yeah, because it's the fact you get the theatrical, you get Redux, which is everything in the kitchen sink, and mm. then you get the final cut, which I I think only came out in like 2018, 2019. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think the the Redux is very interesting, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't choose it. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't be my... Uh, you know, and the final cut, again, is kind of like the happy medium, really, isn't it? It's kind of... Yeah. But it's just the version I'm the most familiar with. Yeah, that makes totally sense. It's the sense. theatrical version. Yeah. That's so for me, definitely the one. That's perfect. Well, let me ask you this final question, Steve, which is... It's obviously the most important question on this podcast, but what does... Bill Murray says Scott Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation. He leans over to her, puts his lips to her ear and says, I never should have done Ghostbusters 2. <laughs> That's perfect, Steve. We're not, we're not going to address it any further. All I will ask you is, where can the good people find yourself and everything that you're doing with the pods obviously we've mentioned you have the cheeky bastards and dropping a bruce where can people listen to those pods you can listen to both of those podcasts wherever you listen to your podcast google spotify apple if you want to go way back and you're you like a little bit of um primitive dirty rock and roll you can listen to my early podcasts on on a website called mixcloud.com. Just search for the Way Past Cool podcast. Perfect. There's about 70 episodes of cult exploitation style music mixed with movie dialogue and movie trailers that I used to do for fun back in the day. And I've just started my very own YouTube channel I'm a very humble guy, so I've named it the king of all media. <laughs> and I'm not even joking. Right now, you can watch um, 150 movies to change your life. Amazing. Amazing. Um, uh, just a little project I put together uh, of just clips in some of my favourite films. No, this isn't, the, this isn't the 150 best movies of all time. This is just 150 movies that will change your life. Perfect. You can check it out on YouTube. Perfect. Um, but yeah, that's where I'm at. Well, Steve, thank you so much for coming and making some Copla connections with me. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Hey, 
massive thank you guys for listening and a massive thank you once again to Steve Smith for joining me to talk about this film that I didn't think I was going to enjoy, but enjoyed very, very much. It was a lot of fun. Uh, As for next week here on the podcast, we're going to be talking about the 19 i think we're sticking in 1970 ladies and gentlemen uh, yeah uh, and sophia coppola's so no not sophia we'll talk about her auntie uh, talia shire sorry it's because she's credited as coppola in this film we're talking about talia shire's uh performance and the film that is the dunwich horror and i'll be joined by returning guests those old school fans of the pod may remember todd jordan from the bitter end podcast he joined me way back when to talk about eight millimeter but he is back he came to the caged in shed to record that episode and it was a lot of fun so do tune in for that one if you'd like to get in touch with the show please do so on all the socials so that is twitter instagram facebook letterbox and tiktok all at caged in pod or you can drop me an email which is caged in pod at gmail.com i very much look forward to hearing from you as and when you get in touch uh, you can find caged in tv over on youtube which is our youtube channel where we'll be talking about all things nicholas cage and the wider coppola family come on over see my interview with nicholas holt how often do you get to see my dumb little face with a celebrity come on give it a little watch or if you want to support the podcast there's a couple of things you could do you can head on over to t public or etsy and buy one of our beautiful beautiful t-shirts uh, yeah, all the money goes into the pot and helps the podcast to sound better and better. You can also head on over to patreon.com forward slash caged in pod where you can get a little bit, a little, 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 just chuck a little bit of money in the pot and you get, you get something back. I've been pretty slack with it, but I've been pretty busy because I am currently recording a new podcast, which, uh, oh, wait, wait until, wait until tomorrow you'll hear something uh, dropping in your feeds that will make you very happy all about getting Defoe you my brand new Willem Defoe podcast which I'm doing with Daryl Edge of Cage Rage fame and uh, being on this podcast fame as well and just kind of being a, a, a lovely guy we, we've been getting to know each other whilst we've been getting to know willem defoe so yeah there's that to look forward to apart from that all that's left to do dear listener is head on over to apple podcast spotify or whatever you're listening to this right now and leave a five star rating and review it would be absolutely lovely if you did it really does help. I know all all podcasts say that. All oh, the bloody podcasts say the same thing, don't they? Go on, mate, give us a rate and review. It really help us out. But it really does. It really does. Why do all of those um, celebrity-focused podcasts do so well? Not just because they're celebrities, but because people take the time to rate and review and boost them up the charts. Why are the people doing well? Because they have more eyes on them. We've got a smaller fan base, but we can use all of our might and power 
And if we give those rating reviews, people go, oh, that's in the charts. That must be something of note. Hopefully, hopefully they do not start at the beginning. So they go, oh, what's this load of shit? Hopefully they start somewhere in the middle or listen to the trailer or something. Be like, Please don't listen to my first episode. Maybe I'll do that as a trailer. <laughs> so yeah, do all of that. And remember to let me know what Bill Murray says to Scarlett Johansson at the end of Lost in Translation. So as ever, guys, I've been Petrus Patsyllabus, your guide through the crazy world of the Coppola family tree. Remember to keep it caged in, and I'll catch you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Droop Town Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.